up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going? Well, uh, if my computer will stay on for a minute, uh, hopefully we can get the episode done before this thing crashes again. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We were just sitting down to record and Ben texts me like, hey, I'm going to be a bit a bit late. Computer just crashed. And then I was like, All right, you know, it's fine. Whatever. It happens. And he's like, hey, just turn the computer back on. It crashed again. Uh, I'll, I'll be a little <laughs> bit longer. <laughs> Yeah, this thing, it, uh, see, I, I actually, right before the recording, I tried playing Arena on my PC. I usually play on my laptop, which runs perfectly well. Uh, my PC, however, is made of an amalgamation of hand-me-down parts from once good gaming PCs. Uh, and this thing has seen better days. I played one game of Arena. I won, of course. Uh, mono, white, and standard. Easy. Uh, and then I closed it. I pulled up the Discord and I pulled up three Chrome tabs. And apparently that was a little too much. It was like handle. a delayed crash. It didn't crash <laughs> yeah, while you're yeah. playing. But when you finally killed the game, it was like, okay, I can rest for a second. And then you open Chrome and it's like, no, I can't handle this. <laughs> yeah, I guess I owe it that much. Thanks for not ruining my standard rank computer. <laughs> but, but that's all you're getting from me. Awesome, awesome. Well, this is episode 38, and this is our, what we're donning half chaff. We didn't call our last, ep- <laughs> like our episode for this last season, or last last set, uh, we didn't call it this, but maybe a recurring uh, episode topic from set to set, half chaff. We're kind of halfway through the format, so we're going to oh, just yeah. talk about uh, mainly what I think of the format, what Ben thinks of the format, where it's gotten to, the evolution of the format since its release, and, and things of that nature, where we see it going. Um, in the latter half of the set before we get Strixhaven. I would uh, I would like to say that this is going to be the recurring title. I think it's a fantastic title. Whoever came up with this deserves a raise. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so simple. It's halfway through the format. I'm just not even going. So <laughs> we have a Discord. Um, if you're interested in you know chatting with us or the rest of the community that listens to the cast, definitely check out the discord the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page we have a whole bunch of channels for constructed formats limited formats feedback of various types and just random other nonsense so you know if you're interested in chatting up anything mtg or anything otherwise hit up the discord and of course the podcast is brought to you by you via the patreon if you're interested in giving back to the show directly supporting us in what we do here check out patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod we've got five different tiers over there starting at two dollars a month and ranging up to ten dollars a month and of course you can give as much as you want over there but that's the best way to support the show and if you can't do that i know a lot of folks aren't really in the position to be able to to do that even if they would want to just spread the show around that's the next best way you can support the show get more people listening to it so um Thank you for listening, and, you know, uh, we really appreciate you. That we do. That we do. Let's get into our crack a draft type thing. So this week we've got, uh, well, something that I've become all too accustomed to in, in Kaldheim Draft. What happens when you open a pack and there's just nothing? <laughs> yeah, it's like you look at a pack and you see 15 cards, but you actually don't see anything at all. Mm-hmm. It's like like that Westworld, uh, the Westworld quote. It doesn't look like anything <laughs> to me. doesn't look like anything to me either. So this first pack here, is this is a pack one pick one. We'll start off in the commons. Of course, there's a snow-covered land. This one's a mountain. We have a guardian gladewalker, axeguard braggart, knothold recluse, the funeral longboat, raider's carve, grim draugr. None of these so far are really like cards I want to be on. And, and I'm kind of no. zooming through these because we've all drafted the format a bunch. But like these are all abysmal first picks. Yeah, I mean, even snow-covered mountain isn't like I, I, if this were a snow-covered forest or a duel, I'd be a little happier. Right. Or even like a shimmer drift veil or something. But I mean. 
you can be in blue red but then i don't know if you're if you're just red by itself the mountain isn't necessarily a large payoff i, yeah. I don't know out of all these things so far it's probably the pick but it's pretty close like are you just happier with like a God, like a Guardian Gladewalker? <laughs> I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, I think I think the Gladewalker is what I would be at so far. It's, I mean, you know, it's fine. I guess it fits into a bunch of different, like any of the, the tribal synergies. I think so far it's just the best open, like keep yourself open pick of this pack so far. I think from a power mm-hmm. level I'd be on Grim Draugr, but eh, it's not the snow, co- snow card that I want to be first picking really. Let's see if the rest of this pack improves. Yeah, so next, our next comment here is Wings of the Cosmos. We've got Valor of the Worthy, which I think is a little higher for me now than than some of the other things. I like Valor. I don't want to first pick it, but out of what mm. we've got, the options we have here, yeah. Uh, there's a Brine Barrow Intruder. There's a Depart the Realm, a Kaya's Onslaught, and uh, so now we're into the Uncommons, a Bredegard Stronghold, Axeguard Armory, and our Rare. Surely the Rare has to be better, right? We've got to be, we have to have a Rare that's going to be our first pick here. Uh, well, you would think. Our Rare is Rally the Ranks, and... Rally's just disappointing. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, out of the commons, um, I don't mind Depart the Realm. It's, Agreed. Uh, I don't mind the the Mountain. I don't mind the Gladewalker. I think probably I'd take the Mountain or the Depart out of those. Uh, out of the uncommons, I do really like Bredegard Stronghold. I've been pretty impressed with this. One of my favorite decks in this format is uh, it's kind of like the, the low-to-the-ground green-white deck with the aggressive white package where this is your top end. When you're getting a late game spell as a land in your aggressive deck that sometimes runs out of cards, uh, perfect. Love this card. Kaya's Onslaught is interesting. Um, it's a bit spiky, right? Like sometimes you just kill your opponent out of nowhere with this. It's a bit expensive for a combat trick. The ability to foretell it and cast it for a white is useful, but not necessarily efficient. It might be the pick here. I'm probably between that, the Stronghold, and the Mountain. It's pretty close, though. I don't know. I'm not really in the business of taking a two-color card and forcing the stronghold, especially when it's essentially a double double card. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's kind of where my mind is. I agree with you that it's a really strong card, and it's probably in the discussion here for, for the first pick. But, yeah, I agree. I, I don't really like taking any of these lands this early because they really are multicolored cards. Uh, they're, they're more gold cards than they are uh, single-colored, and this one really doesn't come together, especially because of the way that their like costs are. Right, like this deck is at, or sorry, Bredegard Stronghold as a card really belongs in a heavy white deck with like a splash of green or a green white deck that's like almost equal, right? Because you need more white to cast it or to, to use the effect. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little awkward. I think I would mostly be between the the onslaught and the depart the realm. I like the white decks generally better than non-white decks, so I might be inclined to take the Kaya's onslaught and hope to wield the Bredegard Stronghold. But yeah, that's possible. I'm not incredibly happy about anything going on here. Mm-hmm. Other cards that have gone up a little bit. Raiders Carve is begrudgingly playable, but the crew cost is just so much. Axgard Braggart can get pretty big in the late game. Eventually, this does demand an answer. Uh, if this is like a four mana spell that you end up getting up to like a seven seven or something, of course you're dumping tons of mana into it. But it's a late game sink. Uh, the Recluse has gone up a four two spider. Just a weird thing to yeah. see, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's very strange. But, it, I mean, it'll take anything out of the air, those pesky angels and whatnot. Uh, it's funny how how awful Brian Barrow Intruder is, given how incredible Zulaport Duelist was last set. Agreed, yeah. It's not even really a conversation piece anymore, and I think maybe that, that was, you know, outshadowed a bit by Snow regardless. But, yeah, I mean, it was a mainstay and a very, very annoying card in Zendikar. And here it's mm-hmm. 
hardly even played. So something to notice here is that the power level of all of these cards is relatively flat. Yeah, uh, there's not really a gradient here, and that's going to contribute to some of my thoughts later on in this episode, which actually is pretty uh, emblematic of, of you know Kaldheim as a whole for me. But we'll get to that in a bit. More on that later. Before we get to that, we've got a few other sections of the show to get through. First up, to Fairy Tybalt. If you're new to the show, this is the section where Ben and I kind of just chat about our week, uh, give you guys a little insight on what we're up to and what went well, what went poorly. So, Ben, why don't you kick us off with your Teferi Tybalt? Sure. So, my Teferi is one that you're probably familiar with. Uh, I got a sweet gift in the mail. I don't know where it came from, but they're these card images. Uh, they're they're rated pretty highly by the Magic community. It. It's for <laughs> well, it's for Cube, um, which just so happens that we we have a Cube, uh, the Draft Shop Cube, of course. So they're these reusable draft packs, um, and of course, of course, this one uh, on the art, it's talking about Tarmogoyf. It's two people playing uh, on like a game of Magic, like two kind of stick figures, and they're like, oh, I cast Goyf. Like, great, very, very me. Uh, man, whoever gave those to me, I'm pretty thankful for that. <laughs> oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, I mean, they they sound cool. No, but in all seriousness, <laughs> I uh, I I figured. So I I don't know if I actually ever mentioned it on the show, but Ben for my birthday got me uh, a huge like uh, deck vault basically, but for for a cube. So I was like, oh, I should probably get him something cube related since we're you know we're doing this whole cube thing. And oh, you got me these. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, um, I didn't. Well, and then there's like a whole story behind all that too, because I was telling Ben I ordered them like ages ago, and I sent him a, a, a screenshot, and the the app that shows the tracking for that order just had it sitting in the same facility for literally a week. It was like seven days. It was yeah. sitting in a facility and just sat there, and they didn't update tracking at all. Ben didn't receive it yet. There's this weird like limbo state, and I was like, are they just going to keep it forever? Are they ever going to say anything to me about it? And I was mentioning it to Ben, and then literally seconds after I said it to him, they called me, and they were like, hey, we need the apartment number. I guess somehow the, the apartment label didn't get put on it, but yeah, good stuff. Mm. Glad you enjoyed them. Hopefully, you can yeah, uh, figure out a cube to put in them. <laughs> well, actually, I've been thinking, uh, and we've been kind of discussing in the back burner, Kaldheim came out. And there was some other stuff going on in other formats that was drumming up a lot of excitement. But now that we're kind of in another lull, uh, Vintage Cube is kicked up. I might fire some of those, might post some lists on the Discord. Uh, but my sites are turned to our cube. I think it's time to make our call time updates, and uh, I'm ready to order myself the copy. Yeah, we also... Now that I've got something to put it in. Absolutely, yeah. We also still owe a copy to Hululu, who won our uh, holiday giveaway, so... Don't worry, Hululu, we didn't forget about you. We just want to make sure that it's up to date and ready for you before we uh, send those out. So mm. I think it'd be rude if we like sent out a cube and then like two days later, we were like, by the way, here's five dollars of changes that you have to make. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, my uh, my Tybalt this week is a little bit strange. Um, so I've been in a bit of a music rut. As you? This sounds, uh, yeah. Yeah, weirdly enough. So wow. uh, anybody that knows me well knows that I'm a very musical person. Super into music. At any given time, I have music playing around me, whether it's in my apartment or if I'm teaching at school, I usually have background music on. But every once in a while, every blue moon, I get into a bit of a rut where the new stuff just isn't flowing and the old stuff just isn't hitting as much as I like it. Uh, so I've actually, I, I have a theory about this. Um, I've noticed that as TikTok has risen to fame, there's been this influx of of new musicians that have gained popularity through tiktok often people with one or two famous songs uh that have like gone viral uh and then they've been picked up by record industries and like that kind of thing uh and the song lengths have gotten shorter and the, the styles have gotten more homogeneous 
homogeneous. I didn't say that. Uh, They've gotten more homogeneous. So I don't know, something about all like my usual style of like indie, alt, pop, rock, that type of thing. There's been a lot of like blending and mixing and and, uh, just a lot of good but not great stuff coming out mm. from new, new music and new new uh, sources that i would usually listen for so i don't know i think i have to start sorting out the uh the chaff if you will <laughs> and then get back to the good stuff well nf drops a new single tomorrow so you know check him out I, he's one of my favorite favorite musicians um yeah that sucks i i can't i don't i don't i don't like when i'm in that kind of setting and i can't imagine what it's like for you because you've always been so musically oriented but mm-hmm. that yeah that sucks hopefully uh you you know, somebody releases something awesome soon and, you you know, you can kind of pull yourself out of that or maybe find something new that you didn't expect to like or something like that. But yeah, for sure. I'm going to have to rely on the Spotify Discover Weekly. I think part of it is just that I haven't had much time recently. It's hard to listen to music while like writing lesson plans because it distracts you. But like, I don't know, maybe I'll find some time next time I'm, I'm out and about. How about you? What's up? What's going yeah, on so for week? me, uh, it's been a relatively slow week. I haven't really been doing a whole lot. Um, I guess I'll start there with my Tybalt. Um, I've, I have been kind of feeling a bit of that whole, like, I've been doing the same thing every day for more than a year now. Yeah. And it's starting to drive me insane. Like, I am so <laughs> ready, especially now that up up here in, like, the Northeast, the weather has started to get pretty nice. Yesterday and today, especially, like, it's been kind of warm out and, like, really just nice outside. And it's like, I, okay, I want to go out and do something that's not wake up, do my Bible study or whatever and work and then, mm-hmm. you know, play some video games and go to bed and then rinse repeat yeah. the next day. And it's just like, it's starting to drive me a little bit crazy, long story short. So hopefully, you know, we, we can get vaccinated soon. I know you've already started that, which is awesome. Yep. Um, and we can get out and actually be doing things soon. Cause I'm, I don't know how much more of this I can take. Yeah, man, I feel you. It's, uh, it must be even stranger working from home because then it's like you're, you literally could stay in your apartment for like a month straight and no, not that's really absolutely time it. passing. Yeah. And that's the thing too. And, it, and I think, you know, I, I just switched jobs like a little over a month ago and now my, my current employer doesn't have offices. It's, it's 100% remote and always has been. So I'm not going yeah. to an office. Like I don't have the expectation of once everybody is vaccinated and such, we're going to be going back to an office. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I mean, I, I knew that coming into the job and I took the job because it gives me the freedom to like move wherever I want and still yeah be working where I'm working. But yeah, I mean, I don't have that. And yeah, like you said, it's it's uh, one of those things where I can definitely just sit around all day and realize I didn't step outside at all today or yeah. this week or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So, yeah. Got to figure out. I started going to the gym, which I think has mitigated some of that. It's not outside yeah. per se, but, um, you know, it's a start it's and it keeps me active instead of sitting in a chair for 12 plus hours a day. Yeah. yeah that's the thing. With summer coming up, I feel like people are going to be out doing more things. One hand, it's good because people are getting vaccinated and more of these things will be okay to do. On the other hand, I don't know, we saw last summer that people will do the things that they want to do regardless of how it impacts others and their safety. So. Let's just hope the vaccines roll out in times so that the impact ends up being mostly not that bad. Yeah, for sure. As far as the Teferi is concerned, I had a really awesome string of conversations with Hannah this week. Um, if you're new to the show or you haven't heard me mention her before, Hannah is my wife. And it's one of those things, we've been married now, mm, it's March, so, uh, you know, a couple months after over a year. It's been like 15 months or something like that. And I know that's that's actually relatively short in the grand scheme of things, right? But 
it feels like there are certain areas of our relationship where it's like, okay, we've done all the growth we can do and you know, we're going to grow in other areas and it's going to be great and all that. But we Mm. had a couple of conversations this week that, that showed me there was more room for growth in areas that I thought we had done all of our growth in, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So we, d- yeah, we just totally. learned a lot about each other this week and it was unexpected and very nice. So oh, uh, cool. that was really cool. And also the WandaVision finale was decent. I think the show as a whole was great and it opened up a bunch of questions. Uh, I'm not going to say any more, anything more than that so we don't spoil anything for people. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, good stuff. I'm excited to see where the rest of the Disney Plus kind of shows bring the MCU. You know, funnily enough, uh, my enjoyment of WandaVision actually directly mirrors my enjoyment of Kaldheim. Just huge in the beginning. It has since fallen off and been okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I see that. Um, we do have a couple of uh, listener questions this week, so let's jump into those before we get into our main topic here. But first up, uh, both of these are actually from Wolverine, and he asks, I've almost exclusively played Premier Draft, best of one. What advice would you have moving into traditional best of three? How does drafting and playing change between best of one and best of three? Mm, great question. So I think the biggest thing that changes with best of three is the access to the sideboard, right? So the of ability course, yeah. to uh, make changes between games uh, two and three that reflect your opponent's deck. So this changes your draft not only in that you want to take, you know, side like your typical sideboard cards, broken wings, invoke the divine, that that type of thing stuff to blow up pesky artifacts or enchantments. This also means that you should prioritize taking cards of your color a little bit higher, uh, just because of where they might wind up on your curve. So for example, if you're playing, I don't know, say like a mid-rangey red-green deck, uh, and then you might want a Cinderheart, you might, uh, if you're if there's a pack that has nothing really in it, and you're considering taking a, uh, like kind of a, a, a meh card that would maybe make your deck, or a card that could be conditionally great, for example, if you're playing against like a late game deck, uh, maybe you see a Cinderheart Giant and you're like, well, I'm not, I'm probably not going to main deck this. It's a little pricey. But if I play another late game deck that's playing these big beaters, this thing could be good because it would get an automatic two for one. Right. Uh, same thing kind of goes in the opposite direction. Maybe you pick up uh, an extra Guardian Gladewalker here or there because uh, perhaps you play against a slightly more aggressive white deck, like black white or red white. Then you'd be want then you want to be able to say side out maybe one of your uh, five or six drops that's not doing too much like a haggy mob um, and bring in an additional two drops something to trade off uh, and ensure that you make it to the late game. Now, I would say that is the, the probably the biggest change uh, in in your draft pick order. It just changes up a little bit knowing that you're able to react to your opponent's game plan. So uh, look for ways to be able to alter your deck in order to better fight against what your opponent could be doing. Yeah, I think that's the biggest draft change. Um, Obviously, there are certain cards that kind of go up slightly in value. You're not going to be completely rearranging your pick orders or anything like that. Generally, you're drafting the same way you're going to draft, whether you're in best of one or best of three. But a handful of cards like Broken Wings and things of that nature will get a bit better in best of three scenarios because you can bring them in. You have that flexibility to say, I'm not going to play this in the main deck, but I can bring it in from the sideboard when I find an opponent who has something worthy of being targeted by this card. And it changes playing a little bit more, I would say, because you'll see cards in the first game that will influence the way you play your second game, Yeah. right? You might see a board wipe in the first game and realize, okay, I can't overextend like I did in game one in game two. I've got to hold back some creatures because they could have that board wipe and that could really blow me out. Yeah, your opponent could have a Toski and you might have one Feed the Serpent in your deck. 
So rather than feeding the serpent on their Sorrel's packmate with a counter on it or something like that, a reasonable threat, you might think, well, wait a minute, if they draw that Toski, that's going to be really hard for me to beat. Otherwise, I better hold on to this feed and see if I can answer that packmate in another way, maybe take some damage from it first. And uh, one other thing that you should consider is being careful what cards you show your opponent. Just as you are analyzing your opponent's cards, your opponent analyzes your cards, right? So if you play like, I don't know, a, a decent impact artifact or an enchantment in, in game one, maybe you happen to play like three equipment or something, like a dwarven hammer and then a few other little little things, um, consider that your opponent might be bringing in removal for that. So if they uh, maybe leave three mana up and you're able to make an attack, but should they have the broken wings, then it would really be a blowout. Maybe hold back because they're probably up to something. And also, don't uh, don't necessarily show your opponent's cards that you don't need to see. And also, always play out game one. So this is probably the smallest impact this would have, but little edges in information. So if your opponent is you know just really beating you down, you, you know you've got like three lands in hand, but you're probably not going to be able to win in a position where you might otherwise scoop. Just don't. Because maybe your opponent will play out their Asika's Chariot that they wouldn't have otherwise played. You wouldn't have been able to see it if you'd scooped. Well, now you know to bring an artifact from yeah, I mean, that does go as well if you're in a situation where maybe you're in that situation where you know you're losing, there's zero ways out, whatever that situation is, though those frequently don't happen, but you have your biggest bomb in your hand. Maybe scoop on that spot because you don't want to play or just don't play that card because you don't want to show your opponent that information so they can't bring in that, that artifact removal or what have you. But mm -hmm. those are things, yeah, a little bit more to consider as far as playing the game is concerned when going from best of one to best of three. The classic uh, scoop in response to Thoughtseize. <laughs> yep, yep. And our second question here is, as I've been drafting call time, oftentimes I find myself waffling between two different decks at the same time. Each pick I make goes into a different deck. At what point in the draft should I just be picking one of the decks and leaving the other one behind? And we've talked a little bit throughout our tenure here uh, since we started the podcast about... Uh, building a plan, understanding what the plan of your deck is, and when you should be moving on to different sections of plan building throughout the draft. The first mm. pack should generally be finding your main color. The second pack should generally be finding your second color. And the third pack should m primarily be filling in any holes in your game plan that you haven't already put together, right? Mm -hmm. um, that said, when you're waffling between two different decks, especially in Call Diamond, I think we're both going to be touching on this topic in a little bit, Kaldheim's an interesting set where you can kind of waffle between a couple of decks and neither of them really ever come together in a weird way. Like sometimes when you waffle, you end up with, okay, I have a path. It's a, it's a less powerful deck because I waffled, but it is a deck. And I feel like in Kaldheim, a lot of times you end up with either a really bad snow deck because you just waffled and then at the end you're just like, I have to just take anything that fits the deck and, and those mm -hmm. end up being kind of bad snow decks. Snow pile. Generally, to answer the actual question, I would say for me, I like to pick one of the decks if you see a signal for one of the two that is powerful just jump ship and join the join the one that is showing a powerful signal otherwise try to stay as absolutely open as possible pick as many of the single color cards as you can so that you don't end up actually waffling between two decks but maybe you can splash a couple of cards from from one color and you end up with like a you know a pseudo three color deck or something with a couple like a, a mono color deck with two splashes or you know something of that nature um I don't have a, a really succinct answer for this question. I, I don't think there is any given point in a draft where you should say, okay, it's pack, it's pick six and pack two. I'm I'm in this deck and that's it. Generally by mid pack two, you want to know what you're drafting though. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that. I think this format does kind of lend itself to this situation more often than not because of the uh, the way that powerful cards tend to 
favor a strategy uh, and they tend to go into one thing. So uh, you may have, I don't know, picked a strong late game rare in, I don't know, green. Uh, and then you might get past several other decent green cards that are a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I think black has this problem. There's a lot of like decent early stuff and decent late stuff. There, there's, well, tell you what, why don't we just get right into it? So our main topic today is half shaft. So again, we're halfway through Kaldheim and it's shaped up to be quite an interesting format. Uh, and there's a handful of topics we'd like to cover. So we're going to kind of kind of go through this laundry list. Uh, what are some of your overall impressions about Kaldheim? Now that we're roughly halfway through the format, uh, let's just check in. What are your thoughts? So I'll start off by just saying I don't think it's an all-timer. I think when we when we started, when Kaldheim mm-hmm. originally started, I was like, wow, this is a really good this is a really good format. I've come off of it a little bit. Generally, I think in I think the the snow stuff kind of ran a little too rampant. I think it was too easy to get too many colors in the snow decks and it made it so the dichotomy between what a really good snow deck and what a really bad snow deck and everything in between looked like was a little bit too all over the place for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the fact that the good snow drafters could take literally any card they wanted because it <laughs> yeah. hurts it hurts so many more people than just the other snow drafter at the table. If I'm drafting in a in a typical set, if I'm drafting a, a green black deck and I take a black rare in my first pack and I, you know, I'm doing the, the green black thing. I'm drafting and drafting and a white bomb comes my way. I might take it on the splash and hope like, hope I'm going to have enough fixing to splash it. But generally I'm just going to pass it because it's not in my colors and it doesn't fit my game plan or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the white drafters at the table still have access to this white bomb that I open that really doesn't belong in my deck regardless. In Kaldheim, there is none of that. The snow drafters can just take literally any, any card that gets opened and not feel upset about putting it in their deck or not have that decision point of eh, maybe I shouldn't play this. I'm going to take it because I want to try it out and you know, it might not work for me. There is none of that really. It's just, I'm going to take this because I can play five colors and not have any issue casting my cards. And that doesn't feel great to me. Yeah, I agree. I think the fixing is very good and there are some side effects to that. Um, I think one of them is this problem that for example, a drafter could be like you kind of mentioned in green, black, and then they're like, oh, my, my early game could use some shoring up. I've already got a few, like, green-red duels. Let me just grab these frostbites that are going by. Oh, is that a Furious Retribution? Yeah, I'll put that in the late game. I have, I have like, uh, two glittering frosts or, like, a glittering frost and an elf. I, I can handle that, right? So then that is kind of simultaneously decreasing the uh, power level of these other decks. And people like playing with powerful decks. That's why we play limited, right? Uh, if we wanted to play with like equal powerful decks all the time, we just play standard or like known power. It's fun to have a rare pass to you in pack three because then you feel exactly. smart. You were like, I was in the right lane. If there's a snow draft here to your right, good luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you're just not getting past anything at all. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the snow decks, I think kind of, well, they really just snow pile up all the all the biggest, best stuff. So this format, I think, is pretty solid. I think it's like a B. Yeah, uh, I would definitely say I, scale. I, I would definitely say that it's good, right? I, I said it's not an all-timer, but I do think it's a good format. I, I prefer it, much prefer it over something like M21. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is a good set. I agree. Yeah, I think it's lower than Aquaria, maybe a bit lower than Zendikar Rising. I don't know. I'd have to make a good tier list for this. Maybe I'll do that in my free time if I ever have any. But uh, I'm not sick of Kaldheim yet. I mean, I'm still still playing it. I've started to see the cracks in the armor, I, I would say, overall. Um, but it's still pretty great. It's a very interesting draft environment. There's a lot of interesting picks. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of not very interesting picks. Um, 
I think the the presence of lands that are actually worth drafting is unique, uh, and this is a cool thing to have every once in a while. This is different than the DFCs, uh, like in last set. They were technically lands, I guess, but they were mostly spells often the times. Yeah, we're talking about basics here, right? Like, basics are actually draftable here. Yeah, uh, the, the snow basics, yeah. I think managing that, it's a, another kind of axis that most draft formats don't have. Uh, this extra resource that you need to be able to decide, well, am I going to have enough of this? It's different than something like energy uh, from Kaladesh, where you pretty much knew that you were going to get enough energy. Energy was never in short supply. Uh, but here, it is entirely possible to draft a snow deck and be like, whoops, forgot the lands, and you will just lose every one of your games. Yeah, it definitely sparked a lot of conversation around the whole payoff versus enabler conversation mm. which yeah. i think was great because it's something that does come up every so often you know every every other set or every couple sets we have to bring up that conversation again and say you know guys don't forget payoffs versus enablers here you know here are the, the differences and why you should be taking one over the other but it was nice to get that conversation back in the mix it was nice to see snow in like an actual format mm. i just yeah. as a as a mechanic because it's a little bit before our time really i mean we didn't play in ice age and any of that kind of stuff and Modern yeah. Horizons had some of it, but mm, did it though? <laughs> so <laughs> just blue green in that set, really. Right. So it was nice to see it. It was nice to get it back. But just as in real life, I think I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for the snow <laughs> to melt. I'm ready for it to go away. And I'm not ready to go back to school, but I am ready for Strixhaven. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, about these snow decks, this kind of snow versus aggro, these are the two ends of the spectrum in this format, right? I think I've gotten a little bit tired of it. I have drafted the Nuts snow deck that had Coma and Kaya and a bunch of other absurd stuff. It was the, the list I posted in the Discord uh, like a week ago. I don't think I can draft a better snow deck than that. I have had the best snow deck that can exist. I've also had one of the best aggro decks that can exist. I, I had this absurd, like, low to the ground. I was barely playing anything but white cards, uh, and I was just killing people on turn five over and over again by pumping a million tokens, clarion spirits, and everything. I have seen both ends of the spectrum. And uh, I don't know, have you seen Her, the, the movie? Uh, <laughs> I Lucky honestly, Beat. I... I started watching it, and then the, that scene, like right in the beginning, where he starts like talking, he starts talking about getting choked by a dead cat. I was like, I'm off it. I don't want this. <laughs> oh no! So I turned it off it. right there. Okay, uh, I, I highly recommend it. It is genuinely one of my favorite movies. Besides that, that's some nonsense. You can get past that. But I think it's actually Scarlett Johansson's like best performance. Uh, fantastic by her. Anyway, there's a, a, a beautiful quote from that movie, uh, beautiful and sad, uh, where the, one of the protagonists is saying, um, are, you, are you ever afraid that you have felt everything that you're going to feel and that everything else is just going to be like a copy of that experience or like a lesser version of that? Um, and I kind of feel that with Kaldheim. Like, I have seen both ends of the spectrum. And the problem is, this is a spectrum, really. Uh, I, I think there's the snow, there's the aggro. Uh, like, so, like, I guess late game snow, like the blue based, uh, green based snow decks, and then the white decks uh, that are aggressive. And occasionally there's other stuff, right? There's like blue red giants can pop up, black red occasionally can get like an aggressive start. And yeah, if you want to play elves, sure, <laughs> well, whatever. But so these kind of crappy mid range decks in between. But I think the best things you can be doing are, you know, equipping your, your raptors or uh, slamming your linworms and copying them, right? I have experienced the best that both of those have to offer. I don't really get too excited anymore when I, mm -hmm. I like, first pick, I don't know, uh, uh, something and then second pick, like, a second or third pick, like, linworms and, and Maria the Frost. It's like, I've done that and I've done better than that. I am not that interested in doing it more. 
And I, I know there's still cards that I haven't explored, but uh, that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, I've seen it. Mm, all right, I'll keep doing it, but I'm not too excited about it. I think I'm with you. Honestly, I think one of the biggest problems of this set is there are actually fewer spectrums than most sets have. Yes, and exactly. I thought this was a problem with Zendikar, to be honest, but I actually think it's a bigger problem here. The decision-making mm -hmm. process is generally bigger here. There are more decisions to be made in general than in Zendikar. Mm -hmm. But the problem is here we have, really, there are two decks, maybe three decks in this format. There are snow decks and there are aggro decks. And the aggro decks are all base white, maybe red, maybe black, right? And you have, generally, that that's what it is. You might have a black-red aggro deck pop up, like you mentioned. But generally, it's white-based. There might be a white-blue flyers deck floating around. But generally, it's it's... Yeah. 75% white cards are as close to that as you can get, and then you splash in another color, and it's aggro, and it wins early, and you know it does the aggro thing. Mm -hmm. Then everything else is a snow deck because even if they aren't dedicated snow decks, they need snow lands to play like Bergstriders or to play like Frostbite and make it you know get the extra value out of those. So even the non-snow decks really do need snow lands; they still care about snow. So it kind of feels like there are only two-ish decks in this format, and that gets really old really fast, and it's. If you're building the snow deck and you're on the lower end of that spectrum where like, okay, it kind of came together, but it didn't really, and I don't have a coma and I don't have Marita the Frost and it's, mm -hmm. and it's like, why did I draft this deck in the first place? It might be an okay deck and I might win games with it, but it doesn't feel great. And then same with the aggro, bad aggro is awful and good aggro is good, but it, you're just drafting the same deck over and over. Whereas most sets you can draft 10 different decks and, you know, have fun with all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that at a at a given draft table, it feels like there's like one or two good snow decks that come out of it. Sometimes just one, one or two good white aggro decks that come out of it. Maybe just one, and then everything else kind of falls into this junky mid range. They're just a pile. bunch of piles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like they have some snow involved uh, because maybe they were speculating on snowlands early and they took like a boreal outrider or something, but it didn't quite get there. Uh, so then you you wind up with all these like medium powerful decks and then like a handful of good ones. And if you're in those good seats, it feels great because you picked up like you wield a clarion spirit or something and uh, or, or you like were already in blue green and then you opened a coma and you're like, all right, I'm in. Now, <laughs> the weird part is everybody else, they're kind of like, all right, well, I've got this mid-range pile. Let's go try to win some games. They lose to the snow decks, which just go bigger than mid-range piles. Uh, copying Linworms is just better than what most of these uh, like black-red decks are often trying to do. And I found that the white decks can often uh, go underneath of them or even be a little bit more resilient. Uh, some of these things like the activating, like leveraging the spell lands or uh, creatures that die into other creatures, or these little card advantages like raise the Draugr, that type of thing. Um, I, I think that you per would prefer to be on one of these two ends of the spectrum. And like you mentioned, it is kind of this... Uh, just a uh, two-way spectrum. Whereas in, in Zendikar Rising, there were plenty of, of viable decks. There were different flavors of party. Uh, there was the blue-green, there was rogues. Uh, and while there were these defined strong archetypes, here the archetypes that are strong are much less defined uh, in the cards that go into them, but the archetypes themselves are much stronger than their counterparts. So what the white decks are less defined. Not every white deck looks like the cookie-cutter uh, black red party deck uh, but i think that those are better overall uh in this specific context of the format than the say uh, a standout deck like the black red deck would be yeah it's interesting you put it that way too because that is leading me to think about you know the the levels of the spectrums in this you have like i said there in in Kaldheim, i feel like there are two there's the snow decks and the, the aggro decks and that's it and then those decks are 
kind of amorphous. Like they're like you said, it's there's no cookie cutter per se version of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a handful of cards you want in each of these archetypes almost always, but the actual like you know total forty cards is can be pretty flexible in most of these archetypes. Whereas in something like Zendikar, you had rather than two different archetypes, you had you know a dozen or so or whatever whatever the actual number was, and then those each of those archetypes, the puzzle wasn't figuring out what the archetypes were; it was figuring out how the best version of that deck is built and and what those cards are and which ones you need to pick up to get that version of the deck. And I think from a like a solving the puzzle perspective, both generally lead to the same outcome. We have we know what the best decks are, we know what goes into them in general. This I think in Kaldheim it's a larger card pool per deck because there are fewer archetypes. But the actual drafting portion is a little different in that when you don't see one of those decks, if black red isn't coming your way, you can just get into rogues. Like mm-hmm. blue blue black rogues. And it's so it, it lets you pivot better. Whereas if you are trying to do that in Kaldheim, you're either in aggro or you're in a snow deck that's just bad and it, it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Something else I've noticed about the drafting process is that occasionally you open a pack where there is just nothing like this, or occasionally you get past a pack where there is just nothing. And I think there is a lot of pretty bad cards in this set relatively. I think uh, it seems relatively bad because uh, to me it feels like there's this very flat power level amongst a lot of the commons. And honestly, a lot of the rares and uncommons fall on that same power level. A lot of these uncommon sagas are just not that good. Um, You'd rather take like an even decent common over them. Same with the rares. Now, the standouts, of course, are miles ahead of the other commons. Talking uh, Sir Rolf's Packmate, Behold the Multiverse, uh, even some uncommons like Glimpse the Cosmos, um, and of course Demon Bolt. Uh, I think Bergstrider is up there as well. These cards are all, uh, Clarion Spirit, these cards are just so far ahead of these other cards in the pack. Um, For example, stuff like Axeguard Armory, uh, uh, Brian Barrow Intruder, Notvold Recluse, Raiders Carve. These just aren't cards you're excited to get past. Um, And I think signaling has been a little bit muddied by this because the snow decks are able to just snap up those good cards in any color. And when you have people that are taking, say, I don't know, five or four three to four different colors of cards in their first six picks that can significantly impact the person to your left uh, when it's trying to tell them what they should be and because first of all they're not seeing very many powerful cards because that person is committing the person to your right is saying oh i'm the snow i'm the snow deck i'm seeing some snowlands get past um let me grab this demon bolt let me grab this berg strider let me grab this sorolf's pack mate and then the person to your left is getting this pack full of like uh maybe they there was like a decent uh, green card in the one, but the person had taken Demon Bolt over it. So they take the green card. But then in the next pack, the Sorrel's Packmate's missing, and they're like, wait a minute, I was hoping for more good green stuff, and my cut on green. And it leads to this very, very bizarre draft. Uh, interesting, challenging. Uh, I, I, it's a brain teaser to figure it out and to navigate it, especially if you uh, are in that snow seat to figure out how greedy you can get. But I think this is a pretty high barrier for lower experienced players or newer players i would not want this to be my first magic set this would really confuse me if if drafting this was my first experience agreed but it's all it it is more challenging i agree with that and it is more more of a brain teaser but it's also way more fatiguing i get tired of drafting this set so much faster than i did zendikar Mm -hmm. like i could sit down and draft zendikar five six times a day and have no issues with it and and I wasn't performing well either. I, I want to put that out there because I think that also goes into these discussions a lot of times as well. I'm doing mm. well in this format, so I like it a lot more. In, I didn't trophy at all Zendikar Rising. I think I drafted 
at least three figures, right? I was probably in the hundred in a hundred drafts or so. Never trophied, mm-hmm. and in fact, I had less than a fifty percent win rate based on my seventeen lands data. So I did not do Oof. well in Zendikar Rising. Call time comes around, and I trophy my first three drafts basically, and mm-hmm. like it just I had a I have I've had bad strings with it, but I've done a lot better in Kaldheim than I did in Zendikar, and I still think I prefer Zendikar Rising as a format just because of all these things we're talking about. And having the fatigue there, that aspect, I could probably only draft Kaldheim maybe two or three times in a row before I got really exhausted and had to just step away because the decision-making process is a little too complex for repeated use, I would say. Funnily enough, I actually really enjoyed Kaldheim Sealed. Uh, I, I would love for them to bring Sealed back. I think the gameplay is, is probably the best part. I like the gameplay of Kaldheim significantly more than the drafting process uh, for all the reasons that we've mentioned. But in Sealed, uh, it becomes much more of a question because then you don't have these like snow greed piles. You, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You just see what you can do with what you've got. See, did you open enough Shimmerdrift Veils to, and, and duels to uh, make this snow pile work? Well, uh, at least then you're kind of guaranteed things are going to be a bit more balanced. You're guaranteed to not run into the player that just, you know, was playing five color snow and was set up and then just lucked their way into a handful of broken rares at the end. Definitely. Well, you know, these sets are designed, right? People sit down and they pick out the cards, they design the cards, they throw uh, all these things together, they test them, they iterate on them, they test them again, then they release a set, right? It's not just something that randomly gets put together, but they are designed. So what do you think about R&D's kind of input and output from this format? Where do we go? What can we take out of the way this format has kind of developed from a, a D, like an R&D perspective? Honestly, one of the biggest things, I guess this is a little shifted off R&D. One of the biggest things I hope Wizards of the Coast takes away from this is that people loved the sealed weekend uh, in the arena open. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the best things to come from Kaldheim. I think people, I mean, we, we voted with our wallets, right? <laughs> I mean, most people entering like once, twice, three times sometimes. Um, I think R&D, getting back to the, the specific design, I'm not even entirely sure they knew quite the power of the beast that they were unleashing with Kaldheim here uh, because R&D is a limited team. They're not going to be firing as many practice drafts as get even probably fired in a day on Arena. Uh, so they knew that they had a solid set. And it is a solid set. The gameplay is great. Uh, pretty enjoyable. I mean, I think I know why you're doing so well. It's because blue is great. There's a broken handful of blue card draw spells. It's basically dig through time. Um, but I, I do think this is a... Uh, a more complex set. Uh, obviously, the set is very dense. We've beaten that point in the ground. There's so much text in these cards. It's it's a little bit draining. I'm kind of hoping that Strixhaven uh, has just some like vanilla creatures here and there. Um, and, and I would also say like the top commons are pretty easy to figure out, but it does get kind of more interesting after that. Uh, there have been some pretty interesting discussions on what comes after the big three of stuff like uh, Demon Bolt, uh, Packmate, and uh, Glimpse or uh, Behold rather. Uh, because after that, it does kind of fall off so steeply that it leads to some interesting discussions. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of shifts in in the other cards, right? We had we've had a couple of spikes of different, you know, hot cards. We saw Goldvein pick spiked pretty hard, where yeah. everybody wanted to take those as highly as possible. Then the runes kind of followed suit with the Goldvein pick, mm-hmm. and now we're seeing a lot of discussion around Jaspera Sentinel. It's it's kind of interesting that these these cards are picking up steam in like waves. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I think it's interesting because you're right. They probably didn't pay. They, they didn't get anywhere near enough games in relative to what the players are putting in uh, from an R&D perspective. They just they just don't have the people to do that. Yeah. I, I am curious if if they felt some of these effects of the five color 
snow kind of monstrosity in that like the snow players can take whatever they want. I wonder if that actually was something they recognized and were like, you know, it's it's how it's going to be because we designed this to be a five color snow set. Maybe maybe that that's the case. I'd be interested to kind of pick pick the brain of R&D and figure that out. But given what we got, you know, like like we've been saying, it's it's a good set overall. And the gameplay, I think, makes up for a lot of the issues that come out of the draft portion. Mm -hmm. So as for this set's power level, um, I would say it's pretty tame. Uh, I I don't think this is a Prince uh, set. It's probably it's definitely more of a popper set, given that some of the best cards. I mean, I'm taking a Sorrel's Packmate over probably over half the rares, right? There's some really bad rares. Um, Re- Mystic Reflection, um, the the In Search of Greatness, uh, whatever this one was called, Rally the Ranks, right? Yeah. Uh, right. Packmate over all three of them, and a lot of other rares too. So I would say this is a, a popper set, um, which is you know again, it's nice to have this. Uh, there's no like busted rare that makes everyone groan. Coma is expensive, hard to cast, and mythic, so it's not like a dream trawler or something. I would say this is actually an artisan set. I don't think it's quite popper, and uh. I don't think it's quite prince. Most of the powerful cards that I found, outside of your bomby rares like Coma, they're uncommons, and they're and if they're not uncommons, they're the select few commons that are way above the rest, right? We've talked about this a couple times already mm. this episode. Yeah. Packmate, Demon Bolt, Behold, they are far and away more powerful. They're higher on the pick order than every other common in the entire set. And some uncommons and some rares. And then you have cards like Clarion Spirit and Svela in the uncommon slot uh, that are just like staples for the decks that they go in. And, you know, can't really be beat outside of that. So I think it's actually closer to an artisan set somewhere in the middle between Popper and Prince. But Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. That seems good. Uh, we've already also kind of gone over some of the top decks, which is our next little section here, um, which is that, again, that they kind of fall into these broad schemes. The late game snow decks are very powerful. Uh, the decks that are trying to play um, Lindworms and Bergstriders and copy them and win like that. Uh, the aggressive white decks are very strong. Uh, these decks that are you know, trying to beat down, put their equipment on their Raptors and, and get in as fast as possible. I do think blue-red is, is solid when a Giants deck comes together. It can feel very, very broken when you have a good Giants deck. Um, and I don't think black is unplayable, but I do think it's the weakest color by a significant amount. Agreed. How about favorite cards? We've got a, a couple of different things we want to talk about as far as individual cards go. Why don't you kick us off with that? Sure. So I find it pretty difficult to pass Clarion Spirit. Uh, I, I really like Clarion Spirit. I know this has um, been tampered with by my own personal experience, so that's something I'm conscious of. Will I allow my... Uh, my like conscious awareness of that to actually allow me to make the correct draft, uh, correct picks. I don't know, probably not. Uh, but <laughs> I will say I've, I first picked the Clarion Spirit and that I ended up pivoting into that busted late game snow deck that I had uh, a week ago. So I can abandon it if I absolutely have to. Clarion Spirit has been my favorite thing to do in the format with, you know, Code Spell Clerics and Battlefield Raptors and you know, dorky little equipment. I guess my love of equipment persists. Uh, and they're actually good this time. Uh, the helm is pretty solid. I love, uh, you know, having a, like a rune package to go get with the, the uh, rune crown. So that's uh, a, a lot of fun stuff that you can do. Uh, I've also been liking some of these green four-drop rares. Toski, Asika's Chariot. I'm pretty happy starting off my draft with either of those. How about you? Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll second the, the Clarion Spirit sentiment. I have a soft spot for spirits. It's kind of my pet uh, creature type. And Clarion Spirit does a pretty decent Murmuring Mystic impression. Murmuring Mystic was one of my favorite cards in that format. So 
I definitely will jam as many clarion spirits as I possibly can. I found my favorite archetype to be specifically the black white, uh, you know, double spell deck. I've actually liked putting that mm. together and trying to make the code spell clerics and the battlefield raptors and the doomscar oracles and make all those work together. Stalwart Valkyries, things like that, and just get my curve as low as possible. I found that to be really fun and uh, actually pretty decent in this this format. So Valkyries definitely one of my favorites as well from a common perspective, and mm. don't have any other real standouts that that come off the top of my head. I of course I like the Giants as well. I think um, Squash has been a pretty sweet card overall. Yeah, uh, it's one of those like super high power level cards, like high ceiling but also high cost, and I, I like that it. Uh, you know, it does force you to put in a little bit of work to make it actually a playable card, but it's uh, it's great when it is. So, mm-hmm. I, I imagine Agar would be up there for you too. I haven't actually gotten to play him. I've drafted the Giants deck Whoa. a couple of times so far, and I've every time I've the lane has been open for Giants, Agar was either not in the pool or was picked up early uh, before I cut the archetype or something like that. So I actually haven't yeah. managed to squeeze him into a deck. Well, that uh, that segues pretty well into our next and, and last little thing here. What are you still looking forward to doing in Kaldheim? Yeah, I still want to make the the you know stock blue red giants deck work. I had a really awesome near mono red giants deck that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. but I'd like to make the blue red deck work with all the works right. Agar, I'd like to get Calamity Bearer and Quakebringer in there and do the oh, you know yeah. do the whole thing. Um, and I did have a deck uh, a couple of weeks ago that had Quakebringer and Calamity Bearer in it, but uh, I never got to play the two of them at the same time. So. Oh, that's just being greedy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because the, the one game where I would have had that happen, because Quakebringer can be out when, you know, can be in the graveyard and still do its thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, the one game where I actually had both of them drawn, uh, my Quake my Quakebringer got fed to the Serpent, so it got exiled, oh, and uh, you know, I still couldn't do the thing. But how about you? Uh, I'm actually pretty excited to make Ox Plow work. I have I have speculated on it like a few times. Like I've been playing like a like a kind of lower white deck, and I, I've seen the Ox, and I'll be like, mm, and there's nothing else in the pack. Okay, I'll put you in the sideboard, and if that Plow comes, like, oh man, we're doing it. Uh, I, I'd like to make that happen at some point. The ability to add three mana, it's, you know, you're basically just getting a black lotus. Uh, I guess apparently it has to be white mana and a white lotus. Spend, if you, you have to spend it that turn. Oh, yes. <laughs> it is the white lotus. How about that? Um, I don't know. I think it'd be kind of cool to make that work. There's some cool synergies you can do it. Uh, like playing the the uh, the plow, trading it off, then master scalding it back. Um, mm. so, some neat little things here and there. I've been keeping an eye out. I genuinely want to make it work. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to do is uh, uptick Kaya. So funnily enough, <laughs> this is my greedy, uh, greedy request. I, I had a Kaya in my deck that let me get to day two of the open. However, I, I was always down ticking her. Like I, I would always just play her on turn five. My deck was low curve. She was essentially a five drop exile sorcery. Um, I, I upstick Kaya a single time uh, and it was, you know, not really doing much. No, I think I had Kaya in, in my, my one busted deck, but like I got to up, I, I didn't really see her that often. There was one game where I upticked her on Coma, which was just pretty funny. Uh, but I've, I've upticked Kaya, I think, exactly two times in this format. Because people tend to scoop when you start doing that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I've never actually drafted her, so, you know, you've got that going for me uh, ahead of me. But, well, that about wraps it up for us this week. Of course, check out the Discord if you're interested in talking further about anything MTG, really, and anything... Uh, 
you know that that's coming across the radar we've got a ton of different channels some what's the pick type things we've got some stuff for the rotating premier drafts as well as any of the quick drafts going on and and of course Caldheim and a whole lot of trophies flowing through the, the discord these days so definitely check that out if you want to give us feedback on the show we would love to hear what your thoughts on the show as a whole are so that's also a great place to do that we've got channels for feedback as well if you're interested in giving back to the show you can do that via patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod it helps us out a whole lot and keeps us doing this week in week out we're coming up close to our anniversary ben we've got one year coming up uh certainly not not anytime this month but it's just around the corner right we've got a couple of months before we hit our one year anniversary and we definitely want to do some fun stuff for that so keep your ears open uh for our plans with that if you want to reach out to give us, away the cube for that right at least i mean maybe we'll do a little more than that Ooh, you're thinking more than giving away a whole cube uh, we'll see, we'll see. let's do it and if you want to reach out to us outside of the discord you can do so on twitter uh you can find me at ranick alfredian you can find Ben at Betafish1 and the podcast directly at DraftChaffPod. You can also email us at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. That does it for us. We'll talk to you next week. I wanted to mention something that has been coming up. Uh, <laughs> I wrote in the notes, forcing things. Now, I was playing a bit of Theros. I wanted a, a quick break from Kaldheim, and I, I'm a fan of Theros Beyond Death. It's a fun format. I like drafting white a lot in that format. Uh the ability to, to kind of curve out with these uh, cheap enchantments and payoffs like Pious Wayfarer um, and then uh, maybe go really wide or kind of go over the top or do some kind of cool Aris thing. White is a really deep color in that set, so I enjoyed it a lot. And I had two back-to-back trophies, almost a third, with virtually identical decks. And I, I wanted to... People in the Discord were starting to look at me with, with sus eyes like... Clearly, Ben's out here forcing this, right? I wanted to come out and publicly say, I was not forcing this at all. I just so happened to get past Hakdos like three times in a row. <laughs> uh, I, I think actually uh, only two of my decks had Hakdos in it. Um, the one, the all-star list, was uh, had Hakdos, Hero the Nyxborn, Anax. Uh, there was an Elspeth in there, I think. A bunch of Phalanx tactics, Omen of the Forge flicker of fate to, to bounce the omens of the forge to re-trigger my pious wayfarer uh that that type of nonsense flickering in aroas's blessing the aura that deals four when it enters the battlefield is just a lot of fun if you haven't gotten to do that uh and then i think probably my favorite uh was my other deck that had two reverent hoplites at one point i had 20 some tokens on my board and that deck had two copies of phalanx tactics which gives one creature plus two one and all of the creatures plus one one, but those games were not particularly close. Wow! Yeah. So I had some fun. Uh, I had some fun, quote unquote, forcing things. This segues into the second part of this sign off uh, of things being pretty forced. A bit of controversy in the Magic community that you may have seen from a little while ago. The the mothership they tweeted out something like, I don't know, like. Tron players are dumb oh, uh, or yes, something like that. Yes. It was, why are <laughs> Tron remember? players the way they are? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, okay, okay. So uh, why are Tron players the way they are? Which, you know, a good a good goof. Um, first of all, for those that don't know, Tron is an archetype in older formats, popper, uh, modern, even going back further than that. The Tron lands allow you to, if you draw three of them, uh, there's uh, uh, Tower, Mine, and Power Plant, uh, 
that if you have all three of them on the battlefield at the same time, they all tap for additional mana. They let you tap for seven mana with three lands, which lets you, you know, play something like a Karn or, or a big Eldrazi way earlier than you should be able to play it. It's often the bane of the format when it's a little too good. Stuff like Ancient Stirrings, um, uh, Expedition Map, cards to power these things out make it more consistent. Anyway, the deck can be a real pain in the butt uh, when it's too good. And yeah, also notably, like, they, they tap for colorless mana, so mm, you're yeah. generally using it to cast things like Ugin or Karn or yeah, Emrakul's, things like that. Yeah, so um, one of the running jokes is that we'll, uh, Tron players will often just naturally draw Tron. Like oh, they always just, have it, yeah. They always have it. it. It can be annoying to play against. It's the cause of some tilt. So anyway, the Magic Mothership tweets this relatively, you know, safe thing, I'd say. And I don't even know who. I, I, I assume some prominent members of the community started saying, like, you shouldn't ostracize your player base. You shouldn't make fun of your player base like this. Again, I, I'm not naming names because I don't know the names. Yeah, I literally have no I, idea. Yeah, I just know this is kind of the discourse that was happening. And to those people, whatever. But, like, here's the problem. They, they started coming at it like it was, uh, I guess, like a social justice type thing. And this is where it started to bother me. Because then at that point, you're kind of misusing your, your powers of, of social justice and improvement, right? Um, if you're starting to say that magic players that enjoy playing a specific archetype have experience in common with actual marginalized groups that like actually experience you know adversity in their everyday life because of things about themselves that they cannot change that sucks <laughs> you yeah. shouldn't do that uh people that are that are trying to you know play the victim here when in reality like i don't know uh, on one hand people's emotions are their own but on the other Turn off your computer. Go for a walk, please. There's a whole wide world out there that doesn't revolve around this game. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I thought it was a little silly, to be honest. Like, I like, personally, I'm the type of person who likes when companies do things that are a bit unexpected, especially mm -hmm. in the Twitter space. Like, Wendy's Twitter is my favorite thing in the world. I love the people who run Wendy's Twitter account because it's mm -hmm. hilarious. And I, I like that, that the mothership tried to do this this isn't the first time this has happened either they've tweeted something and then people get upset about it and they immediately tweet like within hours or whatever tweet hey we're sorry we shouldn't have done that <laughs> yeah this is not the first time this has happened and i agree with you it's like come on people like they there are actual people being marginalized who are like seriously you know being taken advantage of or overlooked or whatever we should worry about those groups rather than you know, this small subsection of a, a relatively uh, unmarginalized group of people, I suppose. But mm -hmm. I, I I would be more upset with them writing that tweet in the first place if it wasn't already a joke. Like, yeah, the whole, like, why are Tron players the way they are thing is already a joke amongst the community. Mm -hmm. So why, like, I, it just, I don't know, it didn't. <sighs> yeah, it, it's one of those things I think people read into too many things and are a little too sensitive with that kind of thing. It's just they were poking fun, and you know what? Sometimes the world needs that. Yeah, I mean, if you're slamming your Karn before I've gotten the chance to naturally play my Siege Rhino, come on, you, you can take a little bit of goofing, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>